You know, by the way, a drive-in window is the greatest example of faith. Because it's now drive-in windows. So you go to the first window, you make your request known unto Susie or whatever her name is in the uniform, and she tells you it's going to be $5.75. And what do you do? You reach in your wallet, your pocket, and you give her $5.75, and she says, next window, please. Well, wait a minute, I don't have my Big Mac fries and ch- chocolate shake. So what do I do? Because I believe her. She closes the window, and I've got to go talk to you know, Johnny down the next window, and I've got to trust that she's told him what I've ordered, and he's been at work getting it. So if you get down to the end of that next window, and he smiles and said, what do you want? I said, look, I placed my order down there and I paid my money. I want my cheeseburger, my Big Mac fries and chocolate shake. And if I don't get it, I'm coming in there. What? You expect it. So first of all, you're looking for it. You act as if it's yours. You don't just keep on driving and say, I hope they find me someday and send it to me. Maybe it'll come at home. That's what faith is like. Faith takes, takes the promise. It, it makes the request and then it expects the Big Mac fries and the chocolate shake because that's what I asked for. I expect it. So the first principle we see in prayer, and it's all over the New Testament especially, is when you pray, you've got to believe God heard you and He's given you the request. Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24 says, Have faith in God. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said will be come to pass. He shall have what he said. And verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, now he's talking about prayer, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, at that time when you pray, believe you've received them, and then you shall have them. So in God's system, the order is the reverse of what it is at McDonald's. Well, actually it's the same. You've got to believe you received it before you have it. You've got to believe in order to have. Romans 4 says, and hope against hope he believed that he might become. We want to believe after we become. That's not believing. And so we've looked at that, and there are a number of scriptures we've looked at. Then last week we began to look at a sense of second principle, and it's here in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to go look at quickly, and then I want to finish this point tonight. Verse 46. Now, there came to Jer- now they came to Jericho, that's Jesus and the disciples, and then they went out of Jericho, his disciples with a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this man had been blind from his birth, and this is his only chance to get healed because he couldn't go to the Mayo Clinic, he couldn't go to the Boston, to the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, he couldn't get a cornea transplant. This was it. This is his one chance in all of his life to have his sight restored because he's heard about Jesus, and he doesn't know what to do. So he hears him coming, he can't see him coming, he hears the commotion, he finds out who it is, he just cries out at the top of his voice because it's the only way he knows he can get his attention. Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard it, excuse me, and they warned him to be quiet. Don't bother the master. Shh, be still. Don't make a ruckus here. And that's what religion will tell you to do. Don't bother the master. Don't bother him. He has important things to do. Don't bother him. 
And that's what religion does. Just be respectful, but that's not what faith is. Faith expects something, and therefore faith goes after it. They warned him to be quiet, but he didn't listen to them. If you're going to get your prayers answered, you can't listen to a lot of people. In fact, if you've got a desperate need, be careful who you tell. Be very careful who you tell. We've been through a few real crises in our lives. There was one time when it was life-threatening. And, 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 and we, were, we only told a half, maybe two or three people. People we knew would A, stand in faith with us, and B, wouldn't ask us a bunch of questions like, how do you feel? You don't need what you're standing in for God for blasted all over Facebook. Well, I need to get people praying. There are going to be people out there saying things contrary to what you're asking God to do. And a lot of times we do that because we're looking... Oh, this is good. This goes back to... We're, we're looking... What we're looking for is emotional support. I don't find anything in my Bible that says God answers cries for emotional support through people. Now, he'll use people, but if all you want is emotional support, your, your boat's going to go down. And they'll cry with you all the way down, but we've got here the power of God to deliver you and to set you free. And as I shared with you last time, again, a little bit ahead of it, that a lot of times the problem is we don't know what we want. And I've shared with you, I've had people come in and, and they're, 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 going, they're facing some crisis and I have to discern why they're really there because they may not know why they're there or may, they may think they're there for one reason, but what I begin to hear is something else. And many times what people in a crisis are looking for is something other than deliverance. They want the pain to go away. They want, a, they want comfort. They want you to cry with them, hold their hand. And there are times we need that just to, but after we've made our stand of faith. Because if somebody's feeling sorry for you for what you're going through, then they've set themselves in agreement that you're not going to get out of it. See, a lot of times what we're looking for is sympathy. Sympathy means I want somebody to feel sorry for me because that's what I'm doing. And I want people to join me in agreement. Remember the prayer of agreement? Two or more agree on any, anything, good or bad. So you've got a bunch of people around you feeling sorry for what you're going through. They've set themselves in agreement that you're going to go through what you're going through. And there's just something about our human flesh that enjoys a little bit of sympathy and a little bit of attention. And we like people feeling sorry for ourselves because that becomes a wonderful excuse to stay there. Because it's a, but it's a substitute. It's a counterfeit for deliverance. And that leads into what we're talking about here. Bartimaeus would not be denied. They're tell, now, remember, who's telling him to be quiet. It's the disciples. It's his staff. It's not his mother-in-law who's been telling him to be quiet all along. This is Jesus' staff telling him, be quiet, don't bother the mess. See, they still didn't get it. He didn't listen to them. But see, they weren't blind. This wasn't their only hope. See, there's something about being desperate. There's something about being 
desperate that you don't care about what other people think. You don't care what the obstacles are. You, you see your answer coming and you've got to get to that answer. So you cry out and that turns God on. That's faith. And here's a perfect example of it. They're crying out saying, be quiet. He cries out all the more. You're not going to stop me. You're not the one that's blind. This is my chance and I'm not going to be denied. And he, what does it say? And he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now Jesus stops. He heard the cry of faith. He stood still and he commanded him to be called and brought to them. And then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling. Their whole attitude changed now. Oh, you've got the master's attention. Come see the master now. They're the same people telling him, be quiet, don't bother him. See, religious people are fickle. They'll blow with the wind whatever's popular. Oh, you need to hear that. See, if be careful who you're talking to because they'll blow with the wind. He's calling you. And I talked about this last week. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. If you don't understand what's behind that, you miss the real power of that. His license to beg by that robe was not a tag that he wore, but it was the robe he wore. He would wear a, a robe that identified him as a blind person that was entitled to sit there and beg alms so that not anybody could just sit there and beg. So when he takes that robe off and throws it aside, at that point, he's still blind. When he throws it aside, he doesn't know where it went. He's just, th- oh, this is good. He's just thrown aside his identity as a blind man. And he's thrown it aside so he can't go find it easily and get it back again. So he's either going to get his eyesight or he's going to now be lost. So he's in faith. And Jesus answered him and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, he's blind. I know he's not wearing the robe, but he's still blind. I mean, come on, Jesus. You know everything. What do you mean? What do you want me to do for you? He's already cried out, have mercy on me. And you're asking him, I mean, come on, Jesus. What do you want me to do? What do you understand? Jesus knows more than we do. So there must be a reason he's asking this question. He's not just making conversation. And he obviously knows why the man's there. So he's asking... Jesus didn't ask questions to get information. Because he knows everything. God doesn't ask you questions to find out information. When God asks you a question, it's because you don't know something he's trying to show you. What do you want me to do for you? And what was his answer? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, Rabboni, teacher, that I may receive my sight. Here's what's going on here. He cried out of his need for mercy. But mercy can cover all kinds of things. 
from forgiveness? And Jesus was basically saying to him, be specific. Tell me what it is you want me to do for you. Not because he didn't know. And see, what we often do is we say, well, you know, God knows everything, so he really knows what I need, so I just kind of ask him for help. But we're learning here, the second principle for answered prayer is you've got to be specific. And that's just common sense until we get into church. You drive up to that same McDonald's window, and Susie opens the window and says, Hello, sir. What can I do for your night? I want some food. Okay. What did you see our menu there? Yes, I want some food. Well, <laughs> how do I answer that? See, they don't want to know, I want food. They want to know, what specific food do you want? I won't do that. Our anniversary is this week. I won't, I won't do that. <laughs> no, she knows what I'm thinking. <laughs> Sometime, well, I won't go there either. <laughs> I'll just try to stay out of trouble tonight. Have you ever go shopping with a child? They have no problems being specific. <laughs> Our grandson knows exactly what he wants. Our granddaughter's birthday is coming up later in August, and she knows, she's already working on it. She knows exactly what she wants. So you don't have to ask her, you know, Emma, what would you like for your birthday? She is going to have a list. We babysat for them Friday night. We, they spent the night, and my grandson comes over with a notebook of the list of things he's planned for us to do. Oh. I mean, they're specific things. Not, well, let's have fun. He's, uh, he knows what he means by fun. So a child, has, see, they're not shy about asking. When we get grown up and get religious, we're trying to, and this is the issue, we try to form it in a way, there's two main reasons why we don't get specific in our prayer requests. The basic reason, I believe, is for, as I said last week, we're trying to give God a bigger target to hit. Because if you get very specific, I'm going to give you an example. A friend of ours that we knew back in, in Oklahoma, and I, he, he, he preached at the church that I used to have. And his mother was a great woman of faith. I mean, this is a woman, her husband was a missionary. They were missionaries out in, in the, to a, a tribe of Native Americans out in, somewhere in Arizona on a reservation. And they're in, having, after dinner, having the dishes done. And her son calls into her and says, Mom, I think Dad just died. He had a heart attack, and I think he just died on the living room floor. She says, I'll be out in a minute. She goes out and straddles his body takes him by the collar and picks him up and looks and he's dead and says, if you think you're going to leave me out in this place, you're crazy. You get back in this body now! And his eyes opened up. <laughs> he would share about my family. He says, if they got sick, they'd make a doctor's appointment because they wanted the doctor to know what it is they had that they got healed of. <laughs> and he, they would literally stay up all night and meditate on healing scriptures and then go to the doctor the next morning. But I share because there was this story. She was believing God for a particular car. It was a particular year, a particular model, and a particular color. 
and she had just asked God for this particular car. And I don't know, it was months went by, and, and, and somebody contacted her husband and said, I understand your wife's believing in a car. Yes. He says, I have one for her. And he drove it over to her house. It was the exact model. It was the exact year, and, but it wasn't the same color. And she gave him back the keys. She said, this is not my car. She said, I asked God for, I don't know, I think it was some particular model Cadillac, it was a particular color, and it was everything but the same color. I may not have the deal. One aspect of it wasn't what she'd asked for, and she said, thank you very much, but this isn't God's car for me because I asked him for blue or whatever it was. And hand, hand the key. How many of you would hand the keys back to somebody just gave you a car? She says, that's not the one I asked God for, and God will give me what I asked him for. Within a week... Someone gave her the exact car that she had asked God for, down to all the details. Donna Smith, the wife of the founding pastor, when they moved up here, she sold her beautiful house and, 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 uh, and moved up here, and she said, God, all I want is a, I want a house with these things in it. And the first house they walked into had exactly the things that she wanted in it. They were specific that doesn't offend God. That excites him because you see, here, here's this one. That red Cadillac or whatever it was, that, that was close, but it wasn't on target. See, God can hit a specific target. You understand, and I'm not a scientist, so I can't verify this, but I understand, from what I understand, that the orbit that the earth is, around, is in, around the sun, if it were 100 miles one way or the other way, or something like some compared to the 93 million miles it is, if that was, were off by only you know, a very small amount, we'd burn up or freeze up. God's extremely precise. Extremely precise. So God can be precise in answering your prayers. And the reason we're, the reason, first reason we're so, so broad is either is because we're afraid he's not going to hit the specific target, so we want to make sure that we've gotten, given God some wiggle room there, which means we don't believe he's going to do it. That's a sign of our unbelief. The second major reason is because we don't know what we want. And that's where we kind of left off last week and I kind of got into it. We think we want one thing, but in reality, we may not know what we want at all. James chapter 4 says, You have not because you ask not. And then the things you ask for you don't have because you ask amiss with the wrong motive, with the wrong desire in mind. You think you're looking for one thing, in reality you're looking for something else. They said a lot of times people crying out for help or really don't want to get out of what they are because they don't want to go, go through the cost it's going to take to get out of it. And that's kind of where we left off We left off last time. And I mentioned this at the end, and I want to pick up here. Where it talks about um, asking in Matthew chapter 7 and several other places. The word for ask or want or desire is the Greek word thaleo, T-H-E-L-O. And, and uh, there's a, a reference, a 10-page, ten 10-volume ten uh, study series I have on Greek words that really gets, I mean, it may be five pages on one word. And I looked this word up there, and it says this word has the distinctive sense of a determined and active fixing of the will on an action. I'm going to read that slowly. 
The word to ask in Greek doesn't mean, well, I hope so or I want so. And this is what we were talking about at the end last time. There's a difference between wishing something or, you know, I'd like to have that. God, you know, I'd, I'd like to have that. That's not asking in the Bible. That's wishing for something. But when the Bible talks about, when Jesus talks about asking something, he's talking about wanting it with a determination. I'll read this again. This word has a distinctive sense, which means it's particular to this word, of a determined and active fixing of the will on an action. In other words, it's determined to get what it wants. Ever known anybody like that? When they once set themselves for something, they want it and nothing's going to just... And that's what Bartimaeus was. So here's Bartimaeus in faith, but Jesus is saying, you still need something else. You still need to be specific in what you're asking for. The woman with the issue of blood, she was determined also because it was illegal for her to be in public with an issue of blood. And it was, secondly, it was illegal for her to touch a man, let alone a holy man. And she fights her way through the crowd. She must have been, to touch, some translations say, the hem of his garment. To get to that point, she was most likely on her hands and knees in the middle of a crowd. She's got to have been weakened from 12 years of an issue of blood. And she just knows, that's my answer. I'm gonna, if I touch his garment, I'm going to be made whole. I've tried every doctor in town. All my money's gone. I have no hope but to get to him and to touch that garment. And I don't care who it is. They're not going to stop me how I feel. Feel's not going to stop me. How what people say to me is not going to stop me. That's what asking means. When Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. It doesn't mean throw something up and hope it happens. It means set your desire on it and say, God, this is what I want and I'm not letting go until I have it. Now we may begin to understand why some things we think we've asked for we haven't received because maybe we really haven't asked in the Bible sense. Maybe we've kind of thrown a hope so up and say, God, if any of this is acceptable to you and sticks, then maybe you can do it for me, please. And the proof of this is, is what we do afterwards. Because if we've asked this way, we don't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit. There's an expression that some of the old Pentecostal saints used to have of getting a hold of God, just getting a hold of Him and not letting go about their children, about their grandchildren, just grabbing a hold of God and just not letting go. And that's really what this, this implies. All right. Now I want to move on to another aspect of this principle of being specific. What do you do if you don't know how to be specific about something? What do you do? I mean, being specific means, God, this is what I need. I need this, speci- I need this much money. I need a raise of this. And I'm going to give you a test, quick testimony of that. When we got, first got saved, and I began to discover about tithing and about somehow God got through to me very early on that he was my source. Well, that's easy when you're working in a large law firm and you're making more money than you spend. So that was simple. So it's easy to trust God when you've got plenty of money flowing in. But I decided to put it to the test. And the firm I was in was large enough, and their policy is that they only review salaries once a year. So 
um, I looked at our situation and where we wanted to be, and I said, uh, you know, I really look for this for a raise for this next year, but I didn't go talk to anybody about it. In fact, I've never asked anybody for a raise except God because he's the one I work for. Not just here. When I was a lawyer, I worked for God. He just used that law firm as a means to pay me, but he wasn't limited to them. But see, I've, God's my source, not the law firm. If the law firm was my source, I never would have left it. Because I walked out of that job having no job, moving my family halfway across the country. I don't recommend that unless you know you've heard from God. And I knew I'd heard from God. Don't do that unless you know you've heard from God. And so, I said, but see, I tested this out. I said, God, all right, here's what I need. You're my source. And I asked him for it. Didn't say anything. At the end of that month, they finished their review, and the partner in charge of the associates came and sat down with me. He said, we reviewed you. You're doing a good job. And here's the, here's the raise we're, we're giving to you. It was half of what I asked God for. Now, here's what, you know, I could either say, oh, God didn't hear me, or this doesn't work. But see, now I laid, no, this works. So I'm not giving up on this. I don't understand how you're going to do this, God, because that's your problem. This, I know they only do this once a year, and I, I'm not, I don't want to wait for another year. So, God, I don't know how you're going to solve this, but I've asked you for... And it wasn't an unreasonable amount. I've asked you for this raise. They've given me this amount. I'm happy with it. I'm not complaining. And I smile when they gave it to me. I smiled. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate it because it's not my issue with them. It's my issue with God. So I went back to God. I said, I don't know what happened here, but this is, I don't know what you're going to do, but I've asked you for this. It's in your hands. Less than a month later, they sat down with me again and they said, we've discovered that the... And it's a long story. We've discovered that our salary structure is wrong. And our starting salary for new lawyers, we've had to increase that salary, salary by whatever it was. But because we've had to increase their starting salary, we have to increase every other associate's salary. And here's what we've increased your by. And guess what it was? It was exactly the difference between what they'd given me before and what I'd asked God for. Not a dollar more or a dollar less. Be specific, but then don't let go. God working, God's God. He has an infinite number of ways of bringing about that answer. And one thing I've learned about God a long time ago is to stop figuring out how he's going to do it. Because I've learned this. Just God, just to prove to me he'll never do it the way I figured out. So I learned early, every time I've come up with some way he's going to do it, I've just had him cross that way off his list. And I want him to have every opportunity so I don't come up with some ways. All right. Okay. Now, but what do you do? What do you do in a situation where you're praying for a, a situation in someone's life and you don't know what the, what the issue is? And sometimes we're too quick. We're too quick to figure out ahead of time what the problem is and to jump in and start praying about that. Now, if it's your need, but, you know, sometimes we don't even know what our need is. Sometimes we think, look, I just need more money. And the fact that you're short of money is a symptom of something that God wants you to look at. And we think the answer to all our financial needs is more money where the answer God may have to you is to straighten your marriage out. Because there's often a correlation I've found in counseling people between the condition of their home and the condition of their finances. 
And God, sometimes the only way to get our attention is to let you go off track far enough until you say something's wrong here and then you begin to ask questions and God can begin to give you answers because he can't get answers to you if you're not asking the questions because you just assume you know what the problem is. So sometimes, many times, what we need to have is wisdom to know what the problem is. Wisdom to know what we need to ask God for. Remember, James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask. He won't upbraid you or reprove you. In fact, he'll be generous to you, but you must ask in faith. So what do we do when you're praying? That's in your own lane. What do you do when you're praying for somebody else and there's a, you know, you know in, 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 in you're praying and you don't, know what, you don't know what the problem is? Remember, we've looked in Ephesians one of the scriptures we looked at is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, which is talking about praying in all manner of prayer. And we may get to that tonight, we may not. But that's following a whole series of scriptures starting in verse 10, which talk about spiritual warfare. And we spent some time talking about why do we have to persevere in prayer for other people's needs? Because often what's the issue is not something we can see. It's a spiritual matter. It's a matter of something that's going on in the spirit realm. And I can't see unless God does something supernatural where I have a discerning of spirits or, or somehow there's something miraculous. I don't know what the spiritual issue is going on. You notice there were sometimes he came to Jesus for healing. Sometimes he laid hands on them. Sometimes he spit in their eyes. Sometimes he just told them to do something. And Sometimes he cast a demon out. Why? Because Jesus learned to discern what the issue was so he knew how to pray. He knew what to do. He was specific. I never thought of this before. But even with the man in Gadara that was filled with a legion, what did Jesus say? What's your name? He was specific. And he says, my name is Legion, which means many. Specific. But what do you do when you don't know? Are we stuck now? Do we just kind of throw up general person? No, God's figured that one out. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we'll just probably get this started tonight. All of Romans chapter 8, in essence, is basically this simple message. What you cannot do for yourself, God did through His Spirit. It starts by salvation, the whole first 15 verses or 16 verses. Or you couldn't save yourself. You couldn't make yourself righteousness, righteous under the law enough. So what you couldn't do, God did for you. Sending His only Son in the likeness of flesh, He condemned your sin in His flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in Him who walks not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So He's talked, the theme through this is God through the Spirit did for you things you could not do for yourself. He couldn't, you couldn't make yourself right in God's eyes. So through the Holy Spirit coming into you, bringing God's righteousness into you, He's made you alive unto God where you used to be dead unto God. Now with that background, let's begin to look here in verse 26. Likewise, that's what the likewise is referring to. The Spirit also helps, which implies He's helped in other areas in this chapter. So now we're going to look at another area where He's helping in the same way. 
Likewise, the spirits also help in our weaknesses. The word weakness there is a Greek word that means infirmity or inability to produce results. Ever feel powerless in your prayers? Ever feel like I do sometimes? I'm praying, but I just don't, I don't feel any power. I mean, I just, you know, I'm praying words out. I'm praying ideas out. I'm making requests, but I don't feel any. It's like I'm trying to, it's like I'm trying to vacuum the rug, but didn't plug the vacuum cleaner in. You know, it's hard work, and it's just, you know, and I'm going back and over this, but nothing's, there's nothing prevailing here. There's no results here. Oh, there's no power in this. And so that's what this word weakness or infirmity means. It's not sickness or disease. It means the inability that we have in our own understanding and in our own flesh and in our own strength. It's our own inability to do something. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about learning to pray specifically and here's talking about a situation where the infirmity is we don't know what to pray. And that's exactly what he says. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our inability, our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray. Literally in the Greek it says, we don't know the what to pray. We don't know what to ask for. We realize the situation. There's a terrible situation. You ever come across an accident or you see an ambulance go by? I had an ambulance go by yesterday, you know, driving by me. It's like, I just felt like I wanted to pray. I don't know what's going on in there. Well, I can pray, God heal them. Well, that's nice and it's general, but we're talking about being specific. I don't know what's going on in there. It may be a woman having a baby. It may be somebody having a heart attack. It may be somebody's been in a terrible... I don't know what's going on in there, but I want to pray for the situation. Well, what are we stuck? Are we helpless? God help the medics? What do you, I don't even know what that means. See, we're, what we've done is we've gotten general because we don't know what the issue is to ask. Because we don't realize God's made a provision for this. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses our inability to do something, and the inability here is we don't know what we should pray as we ought. He's not saying here, look, you don't know how to pray. Your prayer's terrible. He's talking about knowing what to ask God for in a situation because we're limited by our senses, knowing spiritually what's going on. Or in this case, I was limited by the natural walls of that that ambulance and by the speed at which went by. Or You know, they certainly wouldn't have asked wouldn't have let me knock on the door and said, you know, can you make a prayer request? I'm here praying. You know, they're trying to get them to the hospital. So there's not the opportunity to know. There's not the ability to know, but I want to pray. And with lacking information, I'm going to throw up some general prayer, Lord, which is what I did. Lord, heal them, take care of them, bless them. But I knew when I did it inside, there was no power. It was like... But there's no sound. There's no power to it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we don't know the what to pray as we ought to. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. Go back to the beginning of that verse. Likewise, the Spirit also helps. Now, the word help is a simple word, help. But the Greek word, Greek words are often combinations of words that combine ideas together. This Greek word has three different words combined together. And those words together means to take hold, 
together with, against some situation. To take hold, which to engage, but not alone, together with you, against a situation. And the best example I can use about that is, suppose you're, you know, you're, 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 you're driving along and you know, you know the needle's bending over towards E, and you think, well, I, you know, there's a gas station about a mile up the road. I think I can get to that gas station, you know. And just as you kind of see it in sight, and it's getting close, power steering goes out, you coast to the side of the road, you run out of gas. I want to try to get the car. So you get out to try to push the car. You don't have a gas can. You're going to try to push the car, and you just can't get it going. And all of a sudden you hear a noise, a, a truck comes behind you and three movers, professional movers get out. And they say, may we help you. And they take hold together with you against your car and they begin to provide the power to do what you're already endeavoring to do. This word is very clear. It doesn't mean they, the Spirit does it in place of you. He doesn't do it for you, but he comes alongside of you to help you and enable you what you can't do yourself because the real problem is you don't know what to pray for. So here's what the Spirit does. He intercedes for us or with us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, you can read all kinds of commentaries and analysis of this, and you'll get, for almost every different commentary, you'll get a different point of view of what he's talking about. I've heard very good teachings, and I'll mention this if, tonight if we get time, that's referring to praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and I'll give you my view of that. But what it says is, with groanings that cannot be uttered with natural words. Often when you're having trouble understanding a verse, go look at what's before it, because Paul didn't sit down and write, you know, 38 verses in chapter 8 and stop and said, you know, tomorrow I'll start chapter 9. This is a letter he wrote to the churches at Rome so that it's a, it's a progression of ideas and Paul was very organized in his writing and his thinking. So let's go back and look at this groanings and see if we can figure out what he's talking about here. At the end, if we look back at... Um, well, let's, let's, why don't we keep going back in Romans 8? You can go back to the beginning. Um, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He's talking about overcoming your flesh. But if you live according to the Spirit, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. In other words, if you let your flesh dominate it, if you're trying to do everything by the flesh, you're not going to make it. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body... Some of you, many of you, are trying to control your flesh by your own efforts. And my question to you is, what kind of job are you doing? How's it going? Because about the time you conquer that one thing, you become proud of what a good job you've done of conquering that one thing. What Paul's saying here is, but, but if by the Spirit you... This, one of the things the Spirit's been given to us to do is to take hold of the flesh and overcome our flesh. 
but we try to handle it on our own when Romans 8 says one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to do something in our flesh we can't do. We couldn't save ourselves by our flesh. The Spirit came into us and did that for us. We can't even overcome our flesh by our own good intentions, but God's put His Spirit in us to strengthen us, to help us to overcome our flesh. So that's what He's talking about here. So let's go on. If, according, if you live according to the flesh, without, but if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. But you did not receive the spirit of bondage to lead again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He proves that He's the evidence that you're God's child because of His presence in you. If we're children, then we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That would be nice if it ended there. If indeed we suffer with Him. Suffer what? Sickness and disease? No. Because Jesus didn't suffer from sickness and disease. If we suffer with Him. That we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider this, we're going to talk about what the sufferings are. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this time on this earth we're going through, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So all of creation is waiting for the revealing of God's kingdom in His family, in us. And the struggle that he's talking about is what was released in the garden when they sinned. Remember, God shows up for an accounting. He says, where are you, Adam? And Adam says, I'm hiding because I was afraid, because I was naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree I told you not to eat of? Yeah, the woman you gave me made me do it. And God pronounces judgment on him and says, by the sweat of your brow, you're now going to still have to carry out the responsibility. The responsibility I gave you was to subdue, control, exercise dominion, this earth, and be fruitful and multiply, not just your body, but also the animals and the the plants and the crops. You're to produce something here. And all of creation up until that point worked together because God had called it to do that. So Adam had the easiest job in the world. He showed up, Sunday, he showed up in the morning. The, water, the garden was watered because the, 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 the dew settled on it and watered it in the morning. There were no weeds. It, was just, it just flowed. He just kind of had to oversee it. Now once sin entered in, a curse came with that. And with that, all of creation that Adam was in charge of was now going to fight him and resist him. It was going to begin to get old and decay. You notice if you leave something out in your yard and don't take care of it, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. If you don't take care of your grass or your garden, what happens to it? It's going to get weeds, it's going to eventually just fall apart. Why? Because all of nature's in a process of decaying because it's under the curse that was released by Adam when he disobeyed God and tried to establish his own kingdom. And so all of earth, there's a groaning in the earth. 
And we literally hear it sometimes in earthquakes, volcanoes erupting, tornadoes, you know, what our, our, our contracts and what our insurance policies have listed as acts of God are really acts of the curse. Sickness and disease comes from the curse. None come from God. God didn't create it. It's loose on the earth. And it's all here fighting us, making your life more difficult, challenging you just about the time you think you've come up to the top of the hill and it's going to coast. Now there's another hill. There's other... You've got a flat tire. You know, you know, the washing machine gives out. Something goes wrong. Something breaks. Something that, you know, just about the time, you know, my goodness, can I ever get over this? It's groaning. And then you start groaning underneath it. And that's, but that, listen, this is what he's talking about. For the creation was subject to futility. What's futility? It's not able to produce. It's not ever able to get on top of it. Was subject to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope, hope of the future. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty. That's when the new Jerusalem, when the new kingdom, God's kingdom is established here. There's going to be a deliverance from all of this. For we know, look at this, we know that the whole of creation groans and labors with birth pangs, childbirth pangs, together until now. Ladies, when you go through childbirth, that groaning, that birth pangs, that's the bringing, giving birth to something, and there's labor in it, there's work in it, there's pain, there's groanings in it. And, and labor in the world, the earth, the creation is going, going to go through that until there's a birth that takes place and God's new creation comes. Okay, that's all background. Look at verse 23. But not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. In other words, once you come to Christ, God's Spirit comes inside of you, makes you alive unto God. Now it's even worse. Because now you can tell what peace is. Now you can tell what righteousness is. Now you can tell the way things ought to be. And my goodness, I almost hesitate to pick up a newspaper anymore. Hesitate. My goodness, the news just keeps getting worse and worse. I get to the point, you know, I've heard people say, Lord, I remember Pastor Sam, you say, I just want to go home. I just want to get out of here. I used to say, why would you ever, I'm get that point. You know, this is, to live as a Christian today is a groaning. And not only the world, just to deal with our own emotions about it and our own flesh. Sometimes getting up in the mornings are groaning. So we're fighting against something. Your flesh is always fighting you. It always wants to eat what it shouldn't eat, do what it shouldn't do, think what it shouldn't think, look at what it shouldn't look at. It fights you. It makes things hard for you. And you've got to put so much effort into it. You've got to clean it up, wash it up, strengthen it up, exercise it, feed it, do all that, put it to bed, sleep it, then get it up and start all over again the next day. The only trouble you ever have in this world is through this piece of dirt, this piece of earth. 
So inside we're groaning, we're crying out for deliverance, we're crying out for the manifestation of who we really are, we're crying out for the freedom and the peace that's been put inside of us by the kingdom of God, but there's something in the way, the world out there and the flesh that we live inside of that aligns itself with the world, that's what he's talking about. So when verse 26, when he talks about the groanings of the Spirit, he's talking about an inner crying out for something crying out for something, for help, crying out. And so what we feel inside in those situations is a crying out. We don't know how to articulate it. We don't even know what the need is, but we're stirred inside by some need. That's the groanings, and that's the Spirit of God who's making intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Well, then what happens with them? Look at verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts, that's God, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, Because He, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God, God's smart enough to have come up with a communication system between His man, you and me, and God when He knows we don't understand things. He knows we don't know what to pray for. He knows we don't understand what the situation is in that ambulance. He knows I don't know what the answer is in my family. I just know I need to pray for it. He knows that, so, but He knows we need to place, pray specifically. So God designed a system so that that can work supernaturally because He's put His Spirit in you. And as you begin to cry out, the Spirit won't do it for you. But as you begin to cry out and voice things to God, it enter, His Spirit comes along inside of you, down inside with things you can't hear. And He begins to communicate to the perfect will to His Father. And the Father who's listening, searching down to hear your cry, He, does, he hears your words, but He hears the voice of the Spirit who has the perfect mind of God. And God understands what the Spirit's saying. So God's designed a perfect communication system between you and God. And next week we'll find out how to use them. So all week you've got to live knowing it's there, but not knowing how to turn it on. Next week you'll find out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've got everything covered. You know what you're doing. And we're looking to you for understanding so that we might cooperate with you and learn how to pray effectively and see results and prevail with you. Father, help us to begin to put in practice the things that we've heard this night. And may your precious Holy Spirit begin to give us understanding, not just with our minds, but in our hearts, and apply these things to our lives. And as we do that, that these things will become more and more real to us. Thank you that your Spirit is in us, teaching us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.